I saw it as a judge who will listen to the facts and listen to the law, and that'll be it. Now, I'm afraid that the federal court system, which is really the, the envy of the whole world, is now going to be dramatically tarnished. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Senator Patrick Leahy is a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee and has been at the center of the Supreme Court confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett, who was nominated by President Trump less than a month before the election following the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Barrett is expected to be confirmed by the Republican-led Senate just days before the 2020 presidential election. Leahy, who has served in the U.S. Senate for 46 years, has denounced the nomination process for Barrett, saying, quote, this isn't just illegitimate, it's a caricature of illegitimacy. Senator Leahy joins us from his home in Middlesex, Vermont. Senator Patrick Leahy, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you. It's good to be with you, David. I just wish I was there uh, in person. After all, I only live about five or six miles from uh, WDV. Well, you know, I was thinking about you as we all watched you beam into Washington from your Middlesex living room. Uh, how nice it must have been not to be in a room filled with uh, senators who had been recently diagnosed as COVID positive. That, that, what is going on where you have COVID positive senators in there without masks exposing all their colleagues? I thought it was crazy. Uh, and I'd been at a markup uh, a few days before in person. And of course, we got a huge room and everybody's about 10 feet apart and wearing masks. And I remember Mike Lee coming over and chit-chatting about the event he'd just been at the White House. And then a couple hours later, he announces he's um, a positive uh, the senator from Utah. And I said, the heck with it. Everything else is going to be done virtual. I'll, I'll go into the Capitol if I have to vote because you have to be there. And so I did the Barrett nomination hearing uh, virtually. It never should have been rushed the way it was. But um, President Trump has stated over and over again, he wants her on the Supreme Court before the elections in case he has to dispute the election, and he wants her on the Supreme Court because he wants to do away with the Affordable Care Act. Frankly, uh, if the Senate was showing its responsibility, they would say, we'll wait till the elections are over. We're not gonna put a nominee on who, no matter how she votes, is gonna raise questions in the American people because the president has said this is the way she will vote. You have called the Supreme Court nomination process of Judge Barrett illegitimate, and it now appears inevitable that she will be confirmed as a Supreme Court justice about one week to the day before uh, election day. Do you believe that makes this Supreme Court illegitimate? Well, the Supreme Court is still the Supreme Court and has the power that it does. What it does do, however, it diminishes their moral authority. I remember as a young law student 
at Georgetown I, uh, because I was on the, uh, uh, the Honor Society. I was invited to a, a luncheon with members of the Supreme Court. And so here I am, this uh, young kid, and I'm sitting next to Hugo Black. Now, Hugo Black had been a Ku Klux Klan member. He'd been a senator from, uh, from the South. And he talked about how they spent two and a half years to get a, an agreement, a unanimous agreement on Brown versus Board of Education, which basically outlawed segregation. They knew there'd still be years before it happened, but if they were a split court, the American people would never even begin to accept what they were doing. Uh, it, now I see the Supreme Court split decisions, what are seen as partisan decisions with the president announcing what, how they should decide, that's going to hurt the whole federal court system. I've tried a lot of cases in, in federal court before I was in the Senate, both at the trial level and at the appellate level. And even had one that went to the Supreme Court, just as I tried a lot of cases in our Vermont courts and before our Vermont Supreme Court. I never once looked at the judge and thought, well, this is a Republican judge or this is a Democratic judge, it's going to affect something. I saw it as a judge who will listen to the facts and listen to the law, and that'll be it. And uh, now I'm afraid that the federal court system, which is really the, the envy of the whole world, is now going to be dramatically tarnished. And people say, well, do we really want to believe that? I mean, look at what's being done. Oh, we don't have to listen to the science on COVID. Oh, I, I want this uh, man who has no knowledge in the area, but agrees with me, a doctor, as Trump says, and, and not that Fauci guy. Well, Dr. Fauci is one person who doesn't play politics. I have no idea what his politics are. All I know is that virtually every Republican and Democrat in the Congress say, well, let's listen to what Fauci says. But if you start diminishing these things, we are all going to be hurt by it. It's going to take years to get over this. Um, and it'll take years because Trump has been very strategic in appointing young judges. Um, just Judge Barrett, uh, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, these are all people who will be around for decades. So you've indicated that you do not support expanding the number of justices on the Supreme Court. But meanwhile, the Republicans appear to have no reservations about breaking precedents, smashing norms, ramming through a nomination literally days before an election. Why wouldn't the Democrats take drastic action to counteract this with given what the stakes are? Well, it's conceivable they might want to, but also understand the realities. Uh, if we're in the minority, it's a moot point. There's no way it could be done. If we don't have the presidency, it's a moot point. There's no way it could be done. What I worry uh, as much is what has uh, happened behind the scenes that people have not seen. Uh, the district court level, the court of appeals level, 
there you have a, a couple highly financed, uh, very conservative groups that have been grooming, whether it's the Federalist Society or the uh, uh, some of these other, the Koch brothers, and they're financing these people. They've spent 20 to 25 years doing it because they want a court that is going to be politicized. And it, it's showing. In fact, the uh, case that's before the Supreme Court on the Affordable Care actually comes from a uh, an appeal from a specially selected court in Texas, which is ruled differently than most other courts have. Uh, that's some concern. Now, to your other question of, of expanding the court, the last time that was tried, of course, was Franklin Roosevelt with an overwhelming Democratic majority, and it went nowhere. I think that it uh, is, whether for or against it, has been a nice talking point for right and the left, but the pragmatic thing, if you didn't have an overwhelming majority of Democrats in the Senate and a Democratic president, it's not, it's not going to happen. What I would argue more is get a majority in the uh, Senate and get a president who will make a priority to start putting a reasonable uh, people on the Supreme Court. You know, the irony, Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland. You had all these Republicans like Orrin Hatch, everybody else saying, before he nominated, saying, that's the kind of person Obama should nominate. He's, he's known as a moderate. He's well-respected by Republicans and Democrats alike. And, uh, and then, of course, what happens? The president nominates him, and they say, oh, we, we can't have a nomination in election year. So for 10 months, they oppose it. In, in less than 10 weeks, uh, they're ramming through a Supreme Court justice just days before the election. Uh, McConnell broke his word. Lindsey Graham broke his word. And there are a lot of embarrassed Republicans who will tell you privately uh, they're breaking their word, but they don't dare say no to the president or to McConnell. Uh, we should not be in that situation. So even if Biden is elected and you get a Senate majority of Democrats, you still would not support expanding the court? No, I'm not saying that. I'll, say I'll, I'll listen to the debate, but if we think that that's going to be the one way this is going to uh, be better, we're, we're not going anywhere. You know, the uh, president has used the executive branch to either correctly or incorrectly get rid of many of our environmental laws. He's changed a lot of our economic uh, rulings, so they benefit uh, very, very powerful companies. They don't benefit the kind of companies you see in Waterbury as you walk out of the, your studio. And we're going to have to do a lot of work to, to get those back and get things working so that all people are taken care of. And we are still going to be facing the problems of COVID after the presidential election. And that should be our first priority. Then if you want to look at the Supreme Court, fine. 
but there are a whole lot of other things we have to do and can do uh, that, at least in the short term, and some would say in the long term, are going to affect us more. Uh, it's a nice talking point in expanding the Supreme Court. I don't know whether it could be done or couldn't be done, but the fact is, let's not lose sight of some of the real problems we have, getting people back to work, getting people back to school, like your, your son, who, uh, getting uh, uh, our hospitals back where they can treat people for something other than COVID, and letting our, in Vermont, we have an awful lot of industry of uh, inns and restaurants and all, get them back open safely. Do you believe with a 6-3 Trump majority court that a woman's right to choose will soon be illegal, if not nationally, then in many parts of the country? I think there's a very real possibility that uh, in many parts of the country it can be. Now, Vermont, um, there, there is a long ago Supreme Court case before um, uh, before Roe was decided, Vermont Supreme Court case. I, I was one of the people in a state's attorney. We brought a, um, is after I prosecuted a backroom artist who nearly killed a woman on abortion and still was trying to uh, blackmail her for money and sex and I prosecuted him. I said, uh, we brought a case up to the Supreme Court that said, if an abortion was performed within a medical context, uh, it was not illegal. And, and Vermont ruled that way. And, and that has, that has been, the, been the law in, in Vermont uh, ever, ever since. So Vermont will be okay. Uh, but uh, no, this is what they want to do. They want to do away with uh, having you covered by, for pre-existing uh, pre conditions. And frankly, if anybody's had COVID, even though they've recovered, the insurance company could consider that a pre-existing condition. Right. There are many signs of creeping authoritarianism, as President Trump tells white nationalists to stand by, as he calls for the arrest of former President Obama and Vice President Biden. And when he says that any election result other than him winning is fraudulent, what are your biggest concerns about the election? And what do you think is at stake if Donald Trump wins a second term? Well, I worry about his comments because these are the things you usually hear in a totalitarian uh, government. The, the totalitarian leader has a, an election, but he doesn't care what the election does because he's going to declare himself the winner. Um, the uh, uh, pres uh, President Trump uh, declared he had a landslide last time, even though there's about two and a half million more votes were cast for uh, Hillary Clinton than for Trump. I worry very much what it means. Uh, I worry very much what he says if he uh, loses and says, I didn't lose. Uh, and if he wins, uh, he's gonna say, that's what this country wants. They want a, somebody like some of the dictators, he admires Putin and, and Duterte and others. That's what he's going to say. 
And where, I mean, what do you and your colleagues in the Senate, um, what do you think is within the realm of possibility that he would actually just simply refuse to concede the election? If he, if he obviously lost, and there is going to be an overwhelming vote, whichever way it goes, if he obviously lost, I'm sure for his followers, he'll say that's a fake election and all that, but he knows he'll have to leave. Uh, he knows he'll have to leave. The, I, I, I hate to see the image of the Secret Service carrying him out and locking him in a car, but that would actually happen. Uh, so he, he will, I think if he obviously loses, he will lose, but his uh, Twitter account will be overwhelmed with saying, I really, uh, I really won, and this has been a coup, and rise up against these people. And that worries me more than whether he'll leave or not. He'll leave, but what he'll try to convince people of. Remember, this is a man who tweeted or retweeted a thing a week or so ago, calling for the hanging of Barack Obama and Joe Biden. I mean, that's never in the history of this country have we seen such a deranged comment from the President of the United States. And we've had some presidents who were a little bit wild. Well, you know, for young people, uh, I think of my kids, but plenty of kids, uh, um, you know, Donald Trump is the only president they may really know in terms of the period of time when they've been paying attention to politics and it is deeply unsettling to them. Uh, this has been a presidency where not a week, not even a day goes by without some huge seismic upheaval about you know, threats to democracy, things he says about white supremacy. You have almost the longest view of any ten U.S. senator. I think only Senator Grassley uh, has... Or, uh, are you the longest, or is he the longest? No, I'm. I, I'm the. I'm the dean of the. You're Senate. the dean. The so, what reassurance can you give us, particularly to young people at this moment, that we're going to get through this, or perhaps that's not what you would say? No, I. It's not just getting through it. Um, study, learn real history. Uh, you know, I started years ago doing online chats with grade school kids throughout Vermont. We send them uh, material ahead of time about the Constitution, the uh, makeup of the House, the Senate, the checks and balances. And I'm encouraged by the kind of questions they ask. They're um, sometimes better than you hear from the national press or anybody else. And that encourages me. But um, I think I would like to see the rhetoric calm down. I'd like to see both Republicans and Democrats show areas where they can work together. Uh, we've had an example of doing that in our state. And I think we have to show it in other parts of the country, just especially for that generation you're talking about. They've never seen anything else. I think it's almost a cliche to say, let's, let's see our better angels. 
but I think we have to. So after, if Trump loses, um, Trumpism will be with us for some time to come. What do you think are going to be the lingering effects of Trumpism? Uh, how do you imagine that his uh, legacy will continue? Well, I think that the uh, one legacy will be the courts, that they, uh, whether they're willing to uh, move away from being political and try to be representative of all of us or not. Uh, if they don't, then that's a legacy that's going to harm us because we should have, be able to respect the courts, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. And certainly we're going to have economic problems for some time to come because of the president first failing to acknowledge the dangers of COVID and then trying to minimize it because he thought it might hurt him politically. You remember his statements, don't worry, by spring it'll be gone. I'm asking which spring? Or uh, that we don't, really, we don't need to wear masks as deaths in America skyrocket. That's gonna take time to get out of that. And I've, I've already been talking to other uh, senators in both parties on the Appropriations Committee and say, we're going to have to have some fairly bold bipartisan measures to make up for that, or our economy could suffer for the next 20 years. Hmm. These are just some of the things. Now, having said that, uh, having come to the Senate during the throes of Watergate, gotten to know and work well with Republican and Democratic presidents, Republican and Democratic senators, I really do believe in our better angels. I really do believe um, we, we can be better and get over this, no matter what tweets continue to come out from a, a president who would say, let's hang, uh, let, let, let's hang my predecessor. And with that, I am going to have to go back to the, unfortunately, we're going to have some votes, and I am going to have to go back to the Senate. Okay, well, Senator Leahy, I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation. Well, I, I hope the next time I can be doing it in studio with you. Likewise. I'll look forward to that.